I'm grateful to be in Corsicana, Texas. <laughs> Corsicana happens to be my hometown. Yeah, happens to be my hometown. I was born in Corsicana, raised in Corsicana, went to Corsicana High School, met my forever boyfriend, Mr. Mark Lopez. <laughs> and what Melissa may not remember, today is my wedding anniversary. So, happy 29 years, babe. Thanks for coming this morning. <laughs> oh, he is my forever boyfriend, and I will call him that for all of my days. Yes, he is my man, my person, my husband, my spouse, my true love my forever boyfriend. Together we've lived and had a beautiful life and um, I'm privileged and honored that my four children are here this morning. We don't always get to be in the same service because they're busy serving and doing their own things, but if you'll just indulge me for a minute, I'm super proud of them and I'm thrilled to have them here. So I'm going to introduce them to you if you're okay with that. (laughs) You're going to have to be okay with it, right? (laughs) Uh, My oldest, Madison, would you just wave to everybody? Madison's wrapping up her second year of law school at SMU. Yeah. And in just a few weeks, she gets to add one to our family because she is engaged to Mr. Chandler Green sitting next to her. Uh, Chandler, Chandler, we're so honored that you get to join our family. Uh, Hang on, baby. Oh, Michaela sitting on the opposite end is my second born, Michaela Cherish. She graduated from Baylor University on Friday with her degree in theater and my minor in digital and film media. Sorry, messed that one up. Uh, she's heading to Mexico City for part of the summer, um, giving uh, time to some short-term missions, developing a theater program in an orphanage there in Mexico City. Super excited for you, babe. And uh, who knows? Who knows what else is going on and happening? Next to her is her plus one, and no, there is no ring, or, ring on that finger yet. But we welcome you, Mitchell. <laughs> We're glad that you're here. <laughs> Next to Mitchell is my son, Elisha. He's 18. And he's graduated from Louisville High School in a few weeks. Uh, he's heading to Texas A&M with a double major in physics and astronomy. Super proud of him. And then my youngest, Elise Monet, is a, a ninth grader. She's 14. She turns 15 next week. Yes, I'm in a very busy season, as you can tell. And uh, she is a leader on her campus and leads a Bible study, and we're super proud of her. But I just want to tell you, and I'm super proud of their academia and their, their awards, their accomplishments. But there is something about my kids that you need to know. They pursue their passions second. Their passions and their studies second to God. They, they are pursuing Jesus with their whole heart. And when I tell you Madison is in her second year of law school or, or heading into her third year of law school, that's interwoven with her passion for Jesus. She's a soul winner on that campus. She's led other law students to the Lord. Her passion is for politics and international affairs, and so the platforms that she enters, she gets to be an evangelist in the arena of of politics. So I'm proud of that baby. And when I say Michaela, she's majoring in theater and film, I want to tell you she's also a soul winner. She's an evangelist on the stage. She performs, and she gets to share the gospel to many other actors and actresses who would not listen who would not listen to the gospel. She gets to be an evangelist in that arena, and I'm super proud of you, babe. 
Yeah. And when I tell you Elisha is going to study physics and astronomy, that boy can tell you he gets super passionate about how God says he is light. And he can tell you all the stuff about how the universe just shines and gives forth light and how it shows forth the glory and wonder of God. He is speaking truth in his environment, in his arena. He's an evangelist, and he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm super proud of you, buddy. (laughs) Proud to be your mom. And our youngest, she's not sure what she wants to study, and that's okay. She's running. She's doing track and cross-country, and she's pursuing Jesus with all her heart. And I see her read and study the word for hours. She loves Jesus with all of her heart. She's not afraid to text her friends and post it on Instagram and do whatever. My kids love Jesus, and that is the one thing in life that I can actually stand up here and say I am proud to say that I've been able to pass on faith and share with them who Jesus is. And I'm super thrilled that you guys are here with me this morning. And I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge my mother-in-law, who is also here. My mother-in-law lives with us, and it's a blessing and a privilege to have you in our home. Um, She's lived with us for a number of years. My own mom is in Tennessee with my other sister, who is also speaking, and uh, my nephew that is graduating this weekend. So my mom was a little bit sad that she couldn't be here. But it is a sweet honor to be here today with you on Mother's Day and to bring a special message that that the Holy Spirit has actually been working in me for many years. I'm thrilled to actually get to stand up and release it today on Mother's Day. Um, Psalm 62.5 specifically says, Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. And the Holy Spirit has just been delivering messages of hope to me for a number of years since I had something very specific and dark and tragic happen in my life. But I'm not going to talk about that today because we're going to talk about hope. But I want you to know that He's waited till this specific day for me to actually speak it to a particular body of people. I don't know all the reasons why, but I will tell you I've had other opportunities to get up and speak this message, and the Holy Spirit said no. But when your precious pastor's wife called me, it was an immediate, when you asked me, it was an immediate yes. There was no hesitation. The Holy Spirit said yes, now is the time. I even told her I knew exactly what I was supposed to speak She has no idea. Uh, I haven't really shared all of it with her, but I will tell you that it is for today. And I I have cried and wept over this message and thinking how beautiful it is that God allowed me to speak it on Mother's Day in my hometown. Now, I know that it's Mother's Day. Not everybody here in the room is mom. That's okay, because we can all celebrate Mother's Day. Every single one of us can celebrate Mother's Day. Uh, We're going to focus on what we have in common today. So we're going to all celebrate. Each and every one of us was granted nine months of free room and board and another human being, right? Each and every one of you was granted nine months of free room and board and a biological mother. And in her presence, you took your very first breath. So whether you were raised by your biological mother or not, Great relationship with your mom, adoptive mom, bio mom, however you want to call it, or not. Whether she's here today or not, we all have this one thing in common. You sit your very first moment from conception to first breath with that woman 
what a gift she gave. What a gift she gave. And because we were all born of a woman, we bear a physical mark on our body that shows that. Right? Each and every one of us has a physical mark on our body that represents that we were physically tied, physically connected to another human being. It goes by many names. Navel, any, Audi, belly button. And if I know my kids, they're probably singing the Veggie Tale belly button song right now. If you don't know that, you can Google it later, but it's okay. But belly button, whatever you want to call it, whatever name it has, it still proves that you were connected. You were connected by a special cord, an umbilical cord. Now, some people call this a baby supply line. Yeah, a baby supply line. It's a connection, a cord of hope, and that is the title of the message this morning, a cord of hope. But it's a baby supply line, and it takes blood from the mother and take, gives it into the, to the baby. Now, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse, and I'm not going to go into all the medical details of the umbilical cord. But I will say a few things, that this umbilical cord carries and has three functions. The first function is to give it, that baby oxygen. Life, oxygen, so that baby can live, right? And then the second function, it gives and delivers nutrients, food to the baby, so that baby can continue to live and grow and move. And the mom can even feel that baby inside. Sometimes you can see that baby moving, right? So that baby is living and moving inside that womb. And then that third function of that bloodline, that cord of hope, is to remove the toxins and the waste from that baby that would be detrimental to that child's development. In fact, if the toxins weren't removed, that child couldn't continue to grow and would never be born. If there's a a malfunction in that cord of hope, in that umbilical cord, that baby will cease to exist. And so on Mother's Day, I just want to say, what a beautiful picture of the Creator and his sons and daughters. John 3, 3, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this theme of being born of God is consistent throughout the scriptures. It's not just in the New Testament. It's all throughout the Word. It speaks about God and what he wants his relationship to be like with you. You are called to be a son or daughter of the Almighty God. Now, I want to be clear. We know that God is a spirit. He's not male or female. He's a spirit. But throughout the word, he often refers to himself as a parent, as a father, and yes, as a mother. And I I have a few scriptures that actually speak to him, referring to himself as a mother. Deuteronomy 32, 18. God gives birth. You who were unmindful of the rock that bore you, you forgot the God who gave you birth. How about God as a comforting mother in Isaiah 66? As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Or God as a nursing mother. Isaiah 49:15. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, 
yet I will not forget you. That's what God says. He even describes himself as a woman in labor in Isaiah 42:14, saying, I will cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. But it's not just limited to the Old Testament. Jesus also references himself and compares himself as to a mother hen that would gather Jerusalem under his wing. So we see this analogy throughout Scripture of God, the Creator, the Almighty One, who wants you to be connected with Him in a unique way. You were created, we were created to remain connected to Him. He is our source. In Acts 17, 28 actually speaks to this. In Him we live Move, Come on, you know it. You can say it with me. And have our being. In him we live and move and have our being. So wait a minute. Did, doesn't that kind of sound like a baby in the womb? We talked about that bloodline coming in and giving oxygen and nutrients and removing the toxins. Yeah. If you will, just... Grasp it for a moment. You're created to live in Him, not apart from Him, not aside from Him, not outside from Him, in Him. And just like an umbilical cord, we have a cord of hope, a connection with Him, our breath of life, our oxygen. I don't know what I would do without that oxygen, that nutrient, that food that He gives to us daily. That word, that bread that he gives with us. I don't know what I would do without that bread of life. The blood that cleanses us. He is our cord of hope. He is our connection. I know this is a very long introduction, but the umbilical cord is quite unique, and it does draw a pretty picture for what I'm, I'm wanting to display to you this morning. And There's no actual word for umbilical cord in the Bible. I'm sorry. There's no actual word for it. But there is a beautiful word translated as cord that is. And I cannot wait to share it with you. The English language sometimes doesn't give us the full picture of what a word means or what the author is wanting to convey. And when we think of a cord or a rope, you might have a particular picture in your mind. Some pieces of material woven together and bound together to make something stronger and used for some utility purpose, right? We can think of a a rope with an anchor on on it with the ship and what that purpose does. And if you've ever been camping, you've probably used ropes hundreds of times. If you were in Royal Rangers or Cub Scouts, you know how to tie a knot in a rope. And so you have a very uh, big understanding or wide understanding of what a rope is or a cord is in our English language. So I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 2, and we're going to actually read a passage, a few parts of uh, Joshua chapter 2. We won't read the whole thing, but it actually speaks about a cord, a scarlet cord in Joshua chapter 2. It's the story of Rahab and the spies. And just for a little bit of context, many of you may may know the story. You probably do know the story, maybe even better than I do, but... um, Moses has led the children of Israel for 40 years, and he's come to the edge of the promised land, and there's a transition of leadership, and now Joshua is leading the people of Israel 
And he has been commanded to go into the promised land and, and take it. So he sends two spies. And in looking at verse 1 of chapter 2. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now you need to understand, the scripture is very clear that Rahab's house sat on the wall. It also gave us a very clear indication of what her job was. She had a little bed and breakfast. Right? She she housed a few travelers coming through. Maybe little perks on the side. I don't, I don't think that she actually intended to live that way. Most women who end up in that lifestyle don't intend. They don't make it their career choice to live that way. But she lived that way in an effort to sustain her life, to sustain her family. Now, her house was on the wall, so it's likely that she had some view of the happenings outside the wall, right? So I've already said that we've had a transition of leadership with the Israelites, and they are coming. They've been told to come in and possess the land, and so it's likely that Rahab had some political understanding of what was happening. Travelers were coming into Jericho talking about this group of people coming into the land. Not only were they talking about these people coming into the land, but they were telling stories of what they had heard about these people and about their God. If you'll look at verse 8 in chapter 2. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all of the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And we have heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. See, this wasn't, wasn't a woman that was unaware. She had heard the stories from 40 years ago. The people of Israel had crossed the Red Sea 40 years ago. So she had heard the story and the power of this God. She knew who these men were. She knew what they represented, that her city was about to be destroyed. She understood that there was a God with them. So in verse 12, Rahab begins to beg for kindness and deliverance from the oncoming onslaught. And in exchange for her assistance and secrecy, they agreed to show kindness to her after the Lord has given them the land. Now if you'll look at verse 15 we'll see our first reference to the word rope or cord. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house is on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. And then just a little bit further down in verse 17, so the men say to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless we come into the land and you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring in your father, your mother, your brothers, and your father's household to your own home. And I just want to pause there for a minute. Notice that the promise that's being made between the spies and Rahab is a promise not just for Rahab. It's her whole family. Again, it's a picture of hope, deliverance, and salvation 
In verse 21, Rahab says, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. That's the third reference to the scarlet cord. A simple rope in our English language. A precious cord of scarlet dangling from her window. It marked Rahab's only hope. It marked her connection to the breath of life. She waited in hope and great expectation for her deliverance. Now this brief story uses three Hebrew words for cord. And that's really what I want to focus on this morning. I want to show you a few things. Joshua 2.15 speaks of a rope. In the Hebrew, it's the word hebal. Now, this word is translated as rope or cord in the Old Testament a couple of times. But it's translated as pain and sorrow a number of times as well. In fact, it's translated as sorrow ten times in the Old Testament. And there's even a darker word tied to this word. In Job 21.17, Job uses the word, and it's translated as destruction. In some translations, it's calamity. So if you read verse 15 again, Rahab lets the men down with her rope of pain and sorrow, her destruction, her calamity. It's likely that Rahab knew some pain and sorrow. Living shunned and isolated in some way, she had a lot of people coming through her house, but isolated spiritually, isolated socially perhaps. She sustained her family by her work. This scarlet cord was a symbol of her life and her lifestyle. A bold piece of material, possibly even given by a male patron, a wealthy client. A symbol of shame. A treasure acquired by her promiscuous lifestyle. Perhaps she used the rope frequently, maybe even to escape the city walls. I mean, she knew how to use it. She knew exactly where it was what to do and how to get those men out. Maybe she had brought in a few men that way or let them escape that way before. Nevertheless, she brought out what she had, her pain and sorrow, and she exposed it. Basically acknowledging how bound she was to her situation, her pain and sorrow. But if you read just a little bit farther, two verses later, in Joshua 2.17, the Hebrew spies use a very different word. This word is, it's not up there, hoot. (laughs) It's actually pronounced kut in the Hebrew language. And this word actually does translate very specifically as a thread or line or cord. But I want you to hear something. Is it up there? It's not up there. (laughs) It's translated as, it can be translated as thread. Implying weakness when it's on its own. This word 
can also imply a thread that is used to sow. In fact, it's used several times in the Old Testament as a a thread for sowing. And it just seems an odd contrast to me that Rahab, speaking of something heavy, her pain and sorrow, the spies reply to her with something light. They reply with something light, thread-like. You bring your heaviness. And we'll call it nothing. You're, you're, what you have to bring is nothing. It's nothing. And they begin, they speak hope. They give hope. And that hope weaves in to who she is and what her rope is. Her pain and sorrow begins to be sown with hope. So might I suggest that this promise, this covenant between the, the spies and Rahab brings hope to Rahab only because They already have relationship with the hope giver. You can't speak hope. You can't bring something new to a situation unless you have it. And these spies, they had it. They had relationship with the Almighty God, the creator of the universe. They knew who he was and what he could do. And they said, your pain and sorrow can't do it. What you have to bring can't do it. We'll go down your rope, but we're calling it thread-like, and then we're going to tell you who he is. And look what happens next. Joshua chapter 2, verse 21. Rahab says, According to your words, so be it. She sent them on their way, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. You guys, I've already told you this, that there are three words for cord. In our mind, in our English language, we've got the picture of a rope hanging from a window, which is not wrong. It really did happen. But there's a spiritual meaning. There is a dual meaning here that the author intended to place, and you have to catch it. You have to catch it. This word for cord, totally different from pain and sorrow. Totally different from sin, from thread. This word, tikva, more accurately reflects a state of great hope than that of a cord. You can look it up. I, I tried to put the words up there for Oh, yeah, the strong cord, the strong reference is there. Thank you. Okay, all right. You guys, look it up. It's deep. It's fresh. And I can't even begin to tell you all, this, all the stuff that's tied into this word. But it reflects more accurately a great state of hope rather than a rope or a cord. In fact, this beautiful word is translated as hope 23 times in the Old Testament. Seven times it's used and translated as expectation. You know, like a mother expecting a baby, right? Expectation. Job speaks of tikva. He speaks of hope. He speaks of his lifeline, his rope, his source multiple times. Even in the midst of his pain and sorrow, he says, you are my tikva. You are my hope. You are my source. The psalmist utilized it when he penned Psalm 71.5. For you are my hope, my tikva my lifeline, my source, my oxygen, my food, my forgiveness. The transformation only comes from you. Oh, Lord God, you are my trust from you. That's what the psalmist wrote. Rahab's story changes in a moment, just a few blips. I don't know if it was minutes for her. It was verses for us. It's the same chapter. It's her story. 
It changes her life forever. She's a harlot, a prostitute with a business that is shameful. And she ends up in the bloodline of Jesus. She gives birth to Boaz and she has created a whole generation because she changes who she is holding on to. Her story changes her robe of pain, fear, and sorrow. Her robe of isolation and brokenness quickly gets exposed as a thread. It transforms when she acknowledges she needs him. She has faith. The spies speak hope, and it becomes her greatest hope. Expectancy of deliverance. Expectancy of salvation. Not just for her, but her whole family. Friend, this can be your story. Maybe you've already walked part of this. Maybe you understand it, but it can still be your story. God wants you to be able to call what you once called pain and sorrow as hope and expectation. Whether it's you have a child that has gone and lived their own way, whether you have a diagnosis that you're dealing with today and you're questioning why, whether you've had some type of trauma in your past, some type of brokenness or isolation that you've held on to, God wants to know if you'll let him rename it. Do you want some Tifa? Can he rename your your pain and sorrow? Tifa, hope and expectation. It takes one minute of faith to see it from the miracle worker's perspective, to see the one who is hope. A picture of deliverance and salvation of our own pain and sorrow. So how can we do this? How does this, how does this change from pain and sorrow to hope and expectation even happen? It's just like Rahab, but her story is not just her story is not unique. It happens over and over and over in the Old Testament to the New Testament, how God redeems and saves, transforms and changes, not just you, not just them, but their whole bloodline. So it's done by recalling who he is. Rahab spoke out. I know. I know who he is. He's the one who split the Red Sea. I I know who he is. He's the one who delivered the Amorites to you. I know who he is. I know And if I don't acknowledge who he is, I am undone because he is the Almighty One. So you have to recall who he is. Recall what he's done in your own life. Look back. Recall what he's done in the lives of others around you. Claim it for your own. He's not partial to anyone. He wants to do these things for you, not just for Rahab not just for Pastor Michael and Pastor Melissa. He wants to do it for you. What does Rahab do? Not only does she recall who he is, but she recognizes her own need for him. She acknowledges she can't make it on her own. She begs. She begs for kindness from the spies. But I would submit to you today that that was just her intercessor, right? The people that were going to intercede for her because she didn't understand salvation. You have a free path to salvation. You have access to the blood. You have access to the hope. You All you have to do is acknowledge that you have need of him. This is a very personal moment of disowning your own stuff. 
And I'm sorry for you in the, in the room that feel like that you can just kind of skip over that part. Because we have to own our own stuff. We have to recognize when we're outside and disconnected from him. You have to own it. We're hopeless and disconnected from him when we choose our own path. Listen. The analogy of the baby in the womb with the umbilical cord being sustained through that cord, through the bloodline, through the blood supply with oxygen and nutrients. I could carry that on because when that baby is born, you know what's happening? They clamp that bloodline and they cut it. And that baby, removed from the source of nutrients, removed from the source that would cleanse the body of the toxin and waste. It actually takes somebody else coming in and intervening so that that child could survive. And the same is true in the spirit when you're disconnected from the Almighty One, when you're disconnected from the Creator, you cannot be sustained. Why do you feel hopeless? Why do you feel isolated? Why do you feel alone? It's because you're disconnected. You are meant to be connected. And I'm a, I, I just uh, I, I feel, too, that it's important for me to say that you don't get to define how he rescues you. See, our world today would like to speak and declare, you can do it this way. You can go this way and find your source of hope. And you can go this way and find God. You can go this way and find life. But that's not what the Word says. He's actually too big for us to declare how he would rescue us. I mean, the word tells us that he holds the entire universe in the span of his hand. Who are you to define how God rescues you? He holds you. He is the one that can define that. And he has a clear path for you. He has a clear way for you to reconnect with him. It's called the blood of Jesus, the lifeline, the cord of hope. He is your source. With him, he brings in oxygen. He brings in life. He brings in nutrients. And he removes the sin, the waste, the things that aren't supposed to be there, that are detrimental to who you are as his son or daughter. You are supposed to be connected with him. Acts seventeen twenty eight. In him, we live and move and have our being. We cannot exist apart from him. So I challenge you today, as point three says, that the only way is to reconnect with him by repentance. Acts 17.30 says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, meaning trying to declare who God is in your own way, in your earthly parameters, and how you could get to him. He overlooked this foolishness, but now he's commanding all men everywhere to repent. He's appointed a day for judgment, not because he desires it, not because he desires for you to live outside of him, but it is appointed because of the man Jesus Christ, because he has given a path, because Jesus is the resurrection and life. You know, that scarlet cord that Rahab put out the window, that umbilical cord that gives blood, what a beautiful picture and analogy of the blood of Jesus our cord of hope. 
And in conclusion, I just want to say that there's an old saying. When you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. I know you're saying amen, but and there's merit in actually tying a knot and hanging on. There's merit in having some grit and some strength. But we have to realize our rope, our hebal, our pain and sorrow, our destruction, sewn together with our own grit, our own strength, is our chutz. It's weak and thread-like. It's a mere thread. But when we're transparent and we acknowledge who he is and how desperately needy we are, We can turn from our former ways, from our old way of thinking. Maybe today even you have some, you're a believer and you're just hanging on to some old way of thinking that's keeping you disconnected sometimes or leaning into that faith that what God has called you to do and to think. But you've got to be able to repent. I have a wrong thought about you, God. I have a wrong way of looking at this situation. Show me your way. You are my lifeline. You are my source. And I connect with you. I repent of thinking my own ways and trying my own path. I reconnect with you, the very one who is my source. The one who knew me before I was formed in my mother's womb. So I started today by saying that we all have one thing in common. You each have a mom. They gave you free room and board, and I made a joke about it. We have this one thing in common that you you were with her from conception to first breath. There was somebody else in the room. Maybe your father was there, the doctor. But God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And he calls you, he wants to call you son or daughter of the kingdom. If you're not in that place today, know that that can be a place of hope for you. Recognize who he is. Recognize your need of him and repent. Reconnect with him. Reconnect with him. So maybe you never knew hope was a person. I hope you know today that he loves you. Maybe you've forgotten a few things. And you just needed to be reminded. Maybe you've known him, but you currently feel alone and isolated and hopeless. It's time to reconnect. Father, I I just, I thank you that you care about every part of who we are. But Lord, your greatest desire for us is to stay connected with you. How you want to give us our breath and our life, our sustenance. 